of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon, we decide on the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes uh, a month, which we have been doing for a few months now. So for those of you who haven't made the jump yet, we have a big back catalog of yeah, like, like nine, nine or ten now. or something. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a there's Decent a bunch amount. in there of all kinds of episodes you guys can check out. But uh, for free listeners, I think you guys would have heard from us two weeks ago where yeah. we would have had uh, special guest Melissa Kay on uh, to talk 1987 Savage... Wait, that's wrong. Stage Fright Aquarius. That's 87, right? That's 87. Yeah, that's the 87 one. Uh, so many 80s. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the 80s, 80s has actually right? been the biggest decade we've covered so far, just by accident. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we've found some some real good hidden gems, I think, that not a yeah. lot of people seem to talk about. Yeah. Stage Fright uh, was a really cool, stylish slasher by a uh, <laughs> understudy of uh, Argento and Bava, both... Uh, Italian giallo filmmakers. Uh, so that one was a really fun one. And she also brought with her Savage Streets, which was 1984, starring yeah. Linda Blair, which was just a weird combination of a uh, like Death Wish style rape revenge uh, with like a, a teen, teen boner comedy, comedy from <laughs> yeah. the 80s. Uh, which was a really odd film, but it was a lot of fun to talk about as well. So, uh, free listeners, that was two weeks ago. If you haven't heard that one, go back and check it out. Uh, and patrons, you guys would have heard from us last week where we would have been talking Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter, two Lots 90s video game adaptation uh, martial arts movies. Uh, <laughs> that, Mortal Kombat I, was, I gotta say, though. I mean, Mortal I, Kombat was pretty bonkers. We had a lot me. of fun talking about both those films. Street Fighter fell a little short in, in places, unfortunately. Still had some fun with it, but... Uh, yeah. I just couldn't believe that they hired Van Damme to, like, sit in, like, a, a pilot seat and yell, and <laughs> yeah. then, like, fight a guy barely... On uh, wires, Yeah, on wires flying around, and it was all cut up, and you couldn't even see Van Damme's kicking, and I was like, okay, well, I don't even know why would you do this. Yeah, it, is, uh, it was an odd choice. Yeah, but Mortal Kombat was uh, definitely a lot of fun, especially Goro. Yeah, um, watching him get punched in the nuts is always entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that episode you can find over on our Patreon, obviously, so if you haven't heard that one, check it out. But this week... We have our very first returning guest. Yeah. Uh, the show hasn't been on super long yet, so we haven't felt like we've had the opportunity to bring anyone back, but our very first guest of the show, who came on way back in, oh Jesus, March? I forgot he was the first guest. He was our first <laughs> guest. 
He's oh, he he's he's making his return, uh, co-host of the Bunta Vista Socialist podcast over in Australia. We have Andrew Law. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm very well, guys. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for coming back on. Uh, yes. Oh, I'm. I am honored. <laughs> Andrew, you've come on a second time, and you've got more films for us. Last time you brought with us, or brought with you, you brought Ozploitation films, Long Weekend yeah. and Razorback. Which were great. So for any listeners that have only been listening the last couple of weeks, go back and check that episode out, because that was a lot of fun talking. Uh, <laughs> Just these these eco horror uh, crazy Australian uh, I, I don't know I guess neither were slashers but they were they they were they felt pretty relentless in tone yeah. similarly yeah for sure a lot of uh, getting picked off and killed yeah um, but Andrew what have you brought with you this time uh, well yeah last time I was on I felt I felt duty bound to bring some Australian movies um, <laughs> representation. But I don't, don't feel so constrained this time. Uh, so, so yeah, the, the the last two, I felt like Long Weekend was was turned out pretty serious in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I wanted to go a bit a bit more culty with these two. So uh, the theme that I've chosen here is, I guess, uh, cult movies suffused with the spirit of rock and roll. And yeah, that to that are. end, <laughs> to that end, I've chosen the uh, 1984 Walter Hill film Streets of Fire. Uh, and the 1999 uh, Japanese, I guess, r- rock and roll, alien invasion, zombie splatterhouse movie, yeah. Wild Zero. Yep, <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> All those things, definitely. Oh, man. And from what I understand, Andrew, Walter Hill, your favorite filmmaker. Oh, he's right up there. He's right up there. I Beca- think. Um, I, I haven't heard definitely... you mention a filmmaker as much on your podcast as you have mentioned Walter Hill. That's true. I'm pretty sure I was just listening last week, and you guys were talking, and I was like, okay, wow, wow, he made it a whole episode without mentioning Walter Hill. And then you brought up (laughs) The Long Riders, and then you went in a whole whole escapade about how all the Carradine brothers were in this Western by Walter Hill. That's right. It was just, it was Brothers Central, because in that film, The Long Riders, um, yeah, there's there's lots of different, it's it's about like the, the James gang, um, and I think the Ford the, gang, the Ford gang, there's all these different gangs and he has, uh, and he, and he, he like stunt casted like real related brothers as oh, really? to play all the different groups of brothers. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. They're just all brothers. Um, there's, I didn't yeah, even know David Carradine had that, that many brothers. So that's the, uh, kill bill. Right. That's bill. Right. <laughs> yeah. A bit of a, uh, bit of a proto, um, uh, Oh, what was the one Baldwin's? I just watched with him too? De- death race. He's the death race 2000 guy too. Right. Carradine? Uh, oh, Carradine, yes, yes. He's well, he was much, in the original as well, wasn't he? Yeah. He's pretty much just like a exploitation king, isn't he? Didn't he used to be in all these kind of, these movies, like, back in the well, day? Well, yeah, he, he started off in, um, he started off in uh, Kung Fu, the TV series that he stole from Bruce Lee. Man, uh, is, there, okay. is, there, is, there, is, there, is there an original Death Race that I don't yeah, know from about? The, from the 70s. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, yeah, but that movie is called Death Race 2000, though. Oh, that's right. No, sorry. There is a remake with Jason Statham. In the 2000s. That's the mix-up. I was like, holy shit, I watched a 70s Death Race movie called Death Race 2000, and I was like, was there an earlier one? (laughs) So that's right. And I think think, um, Carradine is in the remake as... Oh, I see. Well, because I I know that he's the main dude in the original from the 70s, which is the one that I watched, and that one also has Sylvester Stallone. 
do it like hamming it up, and it's it's basically like like a, a speed racer or Mario Kart exploitation movie. It's nuts. They're all like killing each other with vehicles and like having a a, a huge race that the the government is putting on or whatever. All the the corporate controlled places are like everyone pay, and you can watch all your favorite racers like. Kill, kill each, each other. other. <laughs> they, they, they get points for killing civilians on the road and oh, stuff. Oh, man, it's nuts. that's amazing. Um, I, I can't believe I haven't seen that. It's awesome. Uh, but, yeah, I guess before we get we digress too much, we're already not even talking about anything. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we'll jump into uh, Streets of Fire. Yeah, let's do it. Woo. Streets of Fire. Now, from the creators of 48 Hours, Universal Pictures presents Michael Paré, Diane Lane, Rick Moranis, and Amy Madigan in a Walter Hill film, Streets of Fire. All right, we are talking Streets of Fire, the 1984 film directed by Walter Hill, a self-proclaimed rock and roll fable. Yeah. Another time. Another, Another place. place. Uh, it stars. Yeah, I, I do love how ambiguous the uh, the time is. Oh yes. Yeah, well, because it's fifties like and eighties and seventies. It's, like it's, it's blending them all together in yeah. this weird, like fa- abstract fantasy land. Even the music, like the first, especially the first song, mm-hmm. uh, I noticed had elements of very Tons different. Like stuff, yeah. there was kind of like this eighties. Uh, synth vibe with a little bit of it, but mm-hmm. then they had some 50s like doo-wop going on there too. Yep. It was crazy. They just really mixed all the decades. Well, from what I understand, um, according to Walter Hill anyway, the origin of the film came out of a desire to make what he thought would be a perfect film when he was a teenager. And Walter mm-hmm. Hill, born in the 40s, would have been a teen in sort of like the mid to late 50s. Right, right. So, He's a teen growing up in the 50s, and now he's, you know, you know, in his 40s, and he's decided, you know what? No one ever made the perfect movie for when I was a teen, so I'm going to make it. That's awesome. Uh, so that's why you see it combining things that he would have loved as a kid from the 50s, but also not wanting to date it so badly for today's, or right. for at the time, would have been the 80s kids. Yeah. So he kind of combined all of them into this weird, like, neon power ballad explosion mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's it's pretty nuts. And I think the use of like how, because it looks like the 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 area that they have set up, the mm-hmm. soundstage or whatever it is, it's kind of got this New York vibe in in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't ever do they say the the name of the city? I don't think so. And no, it's just tell it, you where it is. It's just the anonymous some other place, some other time. Yeah, because I, I don't know if they built all the sets, but from what I understand, they filmed most of it on a back lot. Okay. So yeah, it kind of gives this. It was split between um, split between a backlog in a backlot in L.A. and uh, like outdoor shots of streets and stuff in Chicago. Mm. Okay, that makes sense. Because I found I found that the when it did look kind of like it was on a soundstage, it actually helped give the vibe that it was in a different kind of uh, mm-hmm. dimension or time or whatever. Like it isn't on this earth that we're living on. Yeah, it's definitely trying to create this weird sort. It's a, 
because I wouldn't call it sci-fi, but like it, yeah. it wants to do this otherworldly fantasy aspect mm-hmm. to it, which you wouldn't expect from you know a sort of like neon gritty eighties teen movie based in a city. Um, yeah. But it's Especially all with it, such a like a grounded story, which is essentially just you know save the girl in a way. Right? Yeah, and, and and you know it's all. He, I think Walter Hill said that it was all custom cars and kissing in the rain and. Uh, rock stars and motorcycles and like this is all pretty yeah. grounded stuff but I think he wanted to give it that otherworldly quality to, to sort it, of make you fall in love with it the yeah. way you do as a kid where you idolize it where you look at it in this, sure. this that kind of light um, well, and I think you really feel that maybe it's a parallel to what you guys are talking about there in terms of the, the feel mm-hmm. um, I, I would think of maybe something as well like um, like the adaptation of Sin City where it was very very you know, obviously, even more hyper stylized than this movie, which mm-hmm. I still think would have would have been considered hyper stylized for its time, anyway. Um, but even down to, you know, that really sort of um, uh, the sort of film noir uh, dialogue and everything. There's that real sense of this is this is how everything is here. This is how everyone acts here. This is how everyone speaks here. Like there is a there is an internal universe to the movie. Yes, like it, like beyond it, like just it, setting. Absolutely, like yeah. it, like it, it sets up its own universe, so the stuff that takes place in it makes sense. But when you think about it in retrospect, a lot of the time, like for example, I mean, we're jumping a little ahead here, but there, there's a finale where that just is just two dudes beating the shit out of each other with like <laughs> coal hammers. Yeah. Uh, but it's so epic. It's like a lightsaber duel. And like when you think about it, you're just like, that doesn't really make sense how this is such a huge deal. Um, but again, it does feel like that sort of teen movie thing where you blow these things up and so that they mean so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know. It's, it, it's interesting because the thing that worked the best for me about this was... Um, Walter Hill's passion that you could feel throughout the entire movie. You could genuinely feel the sincerity of this dude. You know, it, it, there's no irony to the tough guys in this movie. It, it's yeah. just he he just loves the idea that maybe there's a good tough guy out there. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so many of them play it straight as well um, that, you know, you, you never question this very overt fantasy world. You just kind of get sucked up into it, mm-hmm. which is the experience I had watching it. Well, that's something that's really interesting to me about Walter Hill movies, and this movie is kind of a, a perfect encapsulation of it, is that his films are definitely, like, hyper-masculine. Mm-hmm. They're very, very, you know, like, like you say. Well, yeah, you, you, can, you can look across his sort of filmography, and there's, uh, you know, he made The Warriors. Um, he made... The uh, Driver. 40, uh, he made 48 Hours. He made... Um, uh, like Red Heat, have you guys ever seen Red Heat? I haven't Heat? seen Red Heat. No. Red Heat is really good. It's like a, a mismatched buddy cop comedy with um, James Belushi. Which one's the one from K9? Which one's oh, the Belushi who didn't die? Jim. Jim. Jim, Jim Belushi. Yeah. Jim Belushi and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> is like a cop from the Soviet <laughs> Union who gets sent over to Chicago to, to sort some shit out. That sounds ridiculous. It's great. Yeah. It's got, got scenes like him walking into a seedy hotel room where there's like um, porno playing on the coin-operated TV and he just shakes his head and goes, <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but, but, yeah, between like a lot of these movies like... Um, like Last Man Standing as well, you know, a lot of them have this really hyper-masculine sense. But it's not, and 
I, I don't know if this is a stretch, but it's not sort of, it's not like this sort of uh, fragile, self-aware hyper-masculinity like you would mm -hmm. see in, say, movies like The Expendables, you know? Right. Where in The Expendables, it is just... It's not posturing, a, you know? He's not trying it, yes. to be cool. He's just, just looking at these like, things. Yeah, movie, movies like The Expendables are just constant parades of guys doing, like, this incredibly weak dick measuring stuff. <laughs> it's all a big pissing competition. And it all seems like this kind of, you know, facade. But the Walter Hill stuff, like you said, it, it just really seems to me like he's just taken these really core components of what it is that he liked about westerns and, you know, 50s movies and all those sorts of things, and he's just distilled a certain essence of it, where that's just what the characters are, you know, as a really, as a really primal driver, as opposed to, again, the idea that he's gone, I've got to try and make this character look tough somehow. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it never seems like it's reaching. Yes. Absolutely. But uh, as, as you alluded to, like, the story, I, I was really struck by a combination of how much I enjoyed the film while also being very aware of how incredibly spare the plot is. Yes, yeah, well, see, that, that's where it, you get sort of that Western feel. Like, it feels very basic. Like, yeah, a, band, a gang of bandits come in and kidnap a local, yep. and then they hire a lone gunslinger who's a little moody and a little difficult to work with, and he, he gathers a band of misfits together to go and get her back. Like, that's that's a pretty bare-bones... Yeah. yeah, and they uh, don't get along, you know, there's yeah. tension between the group and all that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a very bare-bones-style Western plot to it. Um, that it just he, adds so much personality that you haven't really seen before. I mean, mm -hmm. and then adding to this, because it's a, an entirely different world... You know these characters can be a bit outlandish, and it doesn't seem so ridiculous. Yeah, because it's it's very mm. me, it's very uh, melodramatic. Yeah, like, um, like like Willem Dafoe has some amazing scenes where he just gets to go crazy with, especially his facial expressions and things. Yeah, like that. really He's weird really thing good. seeing Willem Dafoe without wrinkles on his face. <laughs> yeah. Like that was I so know, much weirder. I, I wanted I wanted to go back and like <laughs> like digitally age him a little, yeah, just a little I bit. I didn't recognize <laughs> him at first. Like I knew it was Dafoe, oh. but I'm like, is that Dafoe? See, like, I, I recognized him before mm. his face even lit up. I was like, I, I know oh, the shape yeah. of that head. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess we should talk about the amazing, yeah, the amazing yeah, the amazing intro to this film. Uh, where it it's just it blasts this seven minute banger of a power ballad called Nowhere Fast. Oh yeah. Uh, and Diane Lane is is up there, young Diane Lane, uh, belting it out, and it's basically a concert dock uh, yeah. for the first like five minutes of the movie or so. Uh, and the music is amazing. Who did the music? You, did you look that up? I actually it's, no. I it's I, I, oh, so, I do. I forget his so name, but I know it's Meatloaf's dude. Well, well, all, all of the music, like the actual score and soundtrack kind of stuff, is by um, Rai Kuda, mm -hmm. who is a very frequent collaborator of Walter Hill's. So on lots of different stuff he's done the soundtrack albums for. He did, um, he did The Long Riders. He did Last Man Standing. He did... Um, I don't know if either of you guys have seen Crossroads. No, I don't think I've seen that Which is like um, an 80s road movie with uh, Ralph Macchio... Hmm. Wanting to go and learn the blues and sell his soul to the devil. Oh, uh, so you know, I've heard of it now that you say that, yeah. Because he has a great yeah. little uh, guitar 
uh, scene at the, I, I'm sure there's a few, but there's one in particular where he's on a classical guitar, and that's like the only scene I've seen, but it's, it's good. It's really mm. good. Well, well the, the movie ends with a uh, climactic guitar battle between uh, Ralph Macchio and um, the devil's right-hand man, who is Steve Vai. That sounds so up my alley. I need to watch this film. <laughs> it's so good, man. But again, all, all the so all the guitar in that movie is by Ray Kuda. Okay. So he's done all of that through this movie, but all of the all of the like um, actual musical numbers and stuff were all uh, arranged and sorted out and produced by Jimmy Iovine, who mm. is like the head of Interscope Records, and okay. like he. So he's the guy who like works directly with you know Dr. Dre on everything that his record label does now and damn um, so so huge super producer now and yeah. he arranged all of that stuff as well and apparently to get uh, the vocals for uh, Ellen Aim who is uh, Diane Lane's character mm-hmm. uh, he combined the voices of Laurie Sargent and Holly um, Holly Sherwood and called them Fire Incorporated. <laughs> so it's actually like two two people's voices blended together for that. Wow, one. that's incredible. That's wild. I guess that also kind of explains because there are a, quite a few um, harmonies on mm. the vocal melodies, especially when she's singing. Mm-hmm. So that must be kind of How what they that does. Yeah, they they added those layers because I I noticed that that there was like layered. I would say by probably like four voices, it made it sound so full, and it had this kind of. Uh, makes it sound feel huge. To it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because mm. it, it felt because they're still doing rock and roll in the background. It wasn't mm-hmm. like what we see later, for instance, like the quartet. Yes, uh, something like that. But instead, you had rock and roll in the background, and still kind of this quartet voice feel with her with her vocals. It was very cool. Mm. Yeah, and the, the, those two main songs tonight is what it means to be young and nowhere fast were both written by um, Jim Steinman, who wrote like real sort of rock opera kind of stuff, and he wrote. Um, Bat Out of Hell for Meatloaf. And yes, oh, that was that was yeah. that's who I was thinking of. Yes, because I, I knew that a guy who worked who wrote stuff for Meatloaf wrote both of those songs because he went on Meatloaf went on to cover one of them, not very well from what I understand, but he did. <laughs> mm. uh, but he gave his best. Yeah, because they because you I guess Meatloaf just liked the song so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, it opens on with, with Nowhere Fast, seven minute of just sort of like this neon concert again. This song feels huge. Um, and it, she's playing it to, you know, this, this sort of huge crowd of locals who are just absolutely in love with her and in love with, with the music and the vibe. And the movie, I think, is trying to, in its own style, replicate that vibe so that you get sucked in the same way all these people are. And then Willem Dafoe, a very young, creepy Willem Dafoe, <laughs> comes in all silhouetted. And as soon as I saw the shape of his head in silhouette, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's, that's Willem Dafoe. That's and then it lit up, and I was like, oh, Jesus. Um, but Willem Dafoe, I forget the, his, his character name, but he's the, the head oh, of a biker um, gang. Fa- fantastic name. Oh. Raven Shattuck. <laughs> Raven <laughs> Shattuck, Jesus. An all, an all leather motorcycle uh, gang that decide that they are, they have some affection for Ellen Aim and her, her band. Yeah. And, well, mostly just Ellen Aim, I guess. Yeah, right. And they, they start a riot, they start going nuts in the concert venue, and they kidnap Ellen Aim. Yeah. And that's kind of what sets the plot in motion, is that Ellen Aim's former, former crush, former 
tough guy, former yeah. man, Tom Cody, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> played by Michael Pere. Two first names. That's what yep. we were about. Tom Ricky Cody, Bobby, man. Dude, it's so Tom tough. It's so <laughs> tough. Um, and he's coming back into town because his sister wrote him a letter saying, hey, your ex-girlfriend just got kidnapped by the local gang. Please well, do she something, please. A telegram. A she telegram. A telegram, doesn't she? Which, again, is like just completely anachronistic, but, <laughs> fits, but fits right into the vibe of the movie. Yeah, because they all have cars and shit. They, so. they have phones. But fuck yeah, it. Call them. Telegram's call them. more romantic. That's what that's about. Oh, exactly. Well, it, but, it, but it also meant that they could... Um, I, I think that whole opening sequence is great because it's just all this really tight... You know, propulsive editing around showing you the the concert happening, um, which again has a lot of like sort of '80s neon and laser lighting and stuff, which doesn't fit into the '50s thing. But either does the sort yeah, of and these the, huge the, power chords and the yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah, yeah. the, the, the yeah. editing rhythm to like the tempo of it, it's nuts. Yeah. And but while all this is happening, they're also sort of showing you, you know, all the action outside on the streets. They're mm-hmm. cutting back and forth between, you know, all the like excited kids coming into the concert and they're showing you just kind of people tooling around in their hot rods and on Yeah, and I'm pretty sure one of the cops is like, "Hey, can can we go watch the show?" Like, can <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. Completely inept. Um, <laughs> the cop, and I got to say the cops don't seem like they do a very good no, job in this city at all. <laughs> they kind of well, just yeah, walk it around like and threat people like that's it. Yeah. Like, seems like there's there's two cops for this entire <laughs> section of the city. Yeah, exactly. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, they do a they do a really good job of just kind of spending spending this 7 minutes of this song happening just editing around back and forth and really establishing the kind of the setting and what all the costuming looks like and the vibe of the whole place all the way through to, you know, Raven and his gang coming in. Yeah, I'll be honest, the first, like, ten minutes of this movie, like, completely sold me. Like, I was so swept yeah. up by the first ten minutes that I was just like, okay, well, I'm on board with whatever you're going to do here, so. Yeah. Uh, You've laid out the universe Yeah, even even well. <laughs> even when uh, Tom Cody returns to town, and he, he, he gets into a little round of fisticuffs with the, the local greasers or whatever who are trying to start shit in his sister's diner. And he just, he just like, slaps a dude slaps unconscious. Yes. And I was like, I've never seen someone slap someone unconscious and, like that. Uh, like, normally, too, with, like, a, with a slap, you, you got this sense of, like, it's a little weaker or whatever, but not when this motherfucker slaps. Well, like, no, and he goes, like, front hand, backhand, oh, front hand, backhand. Like, yeah, out of him, <laughs> just over and over until the dude is just unconscious. And I was like, wow. He was okay. literally fighting with just open hand. Yeah. The, the whole group. Group. It was great. Well, I loved. Uh, I loved the yeah, when he stood up from the diner counter um, in that scene and uh, took off his took off his trench coat to reveal oh, his like yeah. button, button up shirt with no sleeves and yeah. suspenders. And it was, was like, it was like a yes. denim button up, just that had yeah. the sleeves torn off. Of it. Yeah, and he yes. even like his character is kind of he has that vibe of like uh, just it just kind of. A little aggressive. Obviously, he means well with who yeah. he's standing up for. But yeah. there was actually a line, uh, and it was talking about because he had previous work in the in the army or whatever, and he was like, "I like shooting the guns, but I didn't get no medal." So yep. it was like, yeah. you know, he didn't get the uh, the honors that would come with the fighting, yep. maybe because he was just like, "Yeah, I like the weaponry." <laughs> yep. Yeah, there, there, there's a lot of sort of post-war attitude uh, mm-hmm. to this that comes from in both the form of that and um, the Amy Amy Madigan character McCoy, 
um, who is also uh, a vet that he meets in the bar. Um, who who is, he just like thinks like she's so into him. He just kind of seems like he's got this uh, like I can get the any girl, girl, you know. Yeah. And then she's like not having it. She's, You're not my she's, she's like actually I'm just gonna knock out the bartender and steal all his booze. So <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not really that interested. You're not my type. I think is what yeah. she says. She says it like um, several um, times. <laughs> A very young uh, Bill Paxton is the bartender. Oh, dude, with that Elvis hair going on, or like yeah, the huge, the hair. huge flow going. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, as as the as the gang is kidnapping Ellen at the start there, and um and they're all like peeling out on the street with their motorbikes. I was struck by that scene as just like absolute chaos on the set. Oh in yeah. In that scene. Yeah. The whole time I was just like, my god, well, it was <laughs> a time when yeah, they're they're obviously. They had to manage yeah, a lot of different moving pieces uh, yep. <laughs> during that scene. And I love that there's one dude, one biker dude, who's part of Willem Dafoe's gang, who just screams his head off just all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like a war cry. Like, again, if, if it does feel like, like, a, like a Western where you're watching, like, a group of bandits who are, like, hee-hawing their way, you know, yeah. through through the town and just trying to yeah. cause as much destruction as possible. Yeah. Um, Throwing things through windows. Yeah, and, and it's weird to watch that in a setting that you would see as the 80s because this isn't the way that crime is typically depicted in the sort of like post-Death Wish um, style American action movie. Yeah. So what you're, we're watching something kind of like incredibly simplistic but also incredibly uh, elaborately stylized and it gives you this sort of it's weird... fresh. It just makes yeah. you feel new again. Yeah, it's, it, it gives you a really odd feeling and the the way that Walter Hill finds a way to incorporate all these different lighting and but then he, he always finds a way to like get broken glass in the frame and get some yeah. steam going like I don't know how many fog machines they had going but there's like <laughs> there you know there's steel and leather and fire and like yeah um, you feel the heat off this film you know <laughs> yeah it's it's honestly it's it's a straight up scorcher rock yeah. and roll western it's pretty For nuts <laughs> and I love that uh, again, sort of bending the 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 timeline of everything. Uh, Tom Cody has like a lever action rifle, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that he uses. Like like either they're fighting with like blunt objects or like really old fashioned weaponry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was really surprised no one pulled out like a sword or something. Yeah. Meanwhile, getting on their like Toyota fucking get, uh, cars and all that. It's just hilarious. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because when, when you were talking about the sort of, you know, the um, showdown at the end where they're fighting with <laughs> big pickaxes. Yeah, um, they're, they're like coal-breaking hammers, I'm yeah. pretty sure. They're so huge and so, yeah. like, I'm like, where did you get them? None of you work in a coal mine. <laughs> There's clearly not one around. Like, again, that, <laughs> seemed, that seems like the, f the climax in a Western, again. Yeah. And they just pull yeah, the yeah. coal axes out of nowhere. Well, yeah, was, I guess it's sort of interesting that it's it's very it's very sort of clearly established as a you know a, an environment, a universe where things are sort of violent and dangerous and chaotic, and the like the entire city wherever they are, this um, nondescript city mm -hmm. looks like you know one big back alley with, like you said, steam and broken glass everywhere, and sort of everybody's very uh, very sort of brusque and short with each other and rude to each other. It looks like everybody's just looking out for themselves. Mm -hmm. So there is this kind of, um, I guess, uh, ling lingering threat of violence over everything in, yeah. in some sense. But at the same time, it also seems like... It, it, you know, I, um, I honestly, I think the word would be sort of like primal. That there's, that there's something really just sort of like direct and primal about... 
the way that these people are going to interact with each other and go about, you know, enforcing their sense of a kind of, I mean, I, I guess, I guess it's like justice, yeah. but it's not they all that concerned like... with good or bad. It's mm-hmm. really more of like a, you know, honor. I think it's honor. It's yeah. like a duty. It's like a, you know, the, there's, there's good people in our town and we need to protect our town. And even sort of like the people who we think are the, the dirtbags among us, we, we, we sort of need them to. <laughs> yeah, because by no means is, you know, Tom Cody a perfect human being, obviously. No, and I, I like that the movie takes pains to not make him, you know. A, a superhero. Like, yeah, no, he's, 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 he's rough. He's tough, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, Tom he, Cody. He does, he does have a bit of the, the anti-hero vibe. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I did like the fact that once... So once they get recruited, uh, you know, to, to go and get El Name back. Right, by Rick Moranis. Uh, yeah. Canadian legend Rick Moranis. Yeah, um, being total cuck in this movie. Like <laughs> yep. but, but, even, but even him, you know, even he is just, he's just a dick the whole yep. time. He's yep. just oh, yeah. like, why don't you shut up and do what you're told and get your money? You know, everybody, <laughs> I really, really enjoyed, like, how, how snappy all the dialogue was all mm-hmm. through this movie. Really, yeah. really like, um, yeah, real that really sort of fifties gumshoe movie kind of like everybody's just really snapping on each other. Mm-hmm. Everything everybody says to someone else is like rude and hurried, and is met with an equally rude response. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, no one, like no one takes shit from anybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like none of it's, none of it's profane, mm-hmm. but it's all just very rude. You know, very short, and. Which is, I would kind of say, carries through to that idea that I was speaking to of like violence, because mm-hmm. when they do get recruited, they then say, "Ah, oh, you know, well, they, they've hired these two ex-soldiers to go and to go and get Ellen, and they have to go and find somebody to buy guns from." And the suggestion, I think, is that guns are not actually that easy to come by here. Mm. You know, like people are sort of having fist fights and knife fights and stuff like that. But people aren't just pulling guns on each other and shooting everything up. He Mm. actually needs to go and, you know, they actually need to go and get a couple of guns. And even when they do get them, they, you know, when they they go to the the bomber's hangout. Yeah, the battery. (laughs) Yeah, they, they they don't start just lighting everybody up. They don't start killing people. You know, Tom starts shooting, um... He, he posts himself up on the on the roof of a of a building on this abandoned factory across the way, and starts shooting the, you know, the um, gas tanks of motorbikes and blowing them up as a distraction outside. Yeah. But he's not he's not you know it, I, I think the the accuracy with which he's doing that suggests that he could just be shooting the bikers. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But, no, there's there, there's but, definitely a code amongst the protagonists. Yeah. And I feel like that's what that's what they're raging against in Willem Dafoe's character who seems sort of like this just pure, pure chaos anarchy, per, yeah. of like a, you know, a, a very mean-spirited, selfish, um, you know, kind of um, attitude. And I feel like there are moments in the film where a couple of the protagonists threaten to do that, like threaten to be overly selfish in this regard. Mm-hmm. And the, over the course of the movie, they they have to learn a lesson, you know? Yeah. And, mm. and a, a few of them, them kind of do get... Get their, you know, get, you know. I, I like that there's not a lot of clean, happy uh, stuff that happens at the end of this. That you know, that she, that, the, yeah. the, you would think that you know, the 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 awesome singer girl gets back with the tough dude, right. and they and they kick the the sleazy manager to the side, 
and that was my favorite part of the and, film. And and and, and, and she become and then the the sort of misfit girl kind of becomes friends with the crew and they all get it together. Yeah. Um, and that was what you would kind of think of the ending of an 80s teen comedy like this yeah, uh, in that kind of way. And that's what I liked about the ending especially. I think that I think if the movie did just the, the normal wrap-up, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I still would have enjoyed it. It's still a great film. It's just I would have been a little disappointed and I've been like, that didn't feel like the rest of the movie. The fact that all these characters, sure, they grow a little bit, but they're mm-hmm. still the characters that you were with throughout this film like it's not like Rick Moranis is just like you know what I'm gonna start donating to charities and then you know all that <laughs> shit you know there's none of that he's still get, trying to get his money yeah. he understands the dynamics of their relationships and then Tom Cody when he's just like you know what babe I'm a lone wolf you can't stop me you know I was just like that's great that's rock and roll is what that is like, yeah you know? well and then and then he ends up partnering up with with her because she he actually sees like a fellow lone spirit like him mm-hmm. uh, and it ends up kind of being more of like uh uh, you know, an acceptance of the larger ecosystem around you rather than, you know, actually, you know, fundamentally changing who the characters are or right. doing anything like that. Exactly. Um, and yeah, yeah the, like, like you said, that wouldn't, that wouldn't have really been representative of any of them. Yeah. No. Right. They're all, they're all too pig-headed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I like that they also say, like, Tom's character kind of sets that up even, like, halfway through the film when he goes... We probably won't end up together. We're on different paths in life, essentially, is what he tells. I think McCoy, he says that, too, when they're mm. talking about the relationship that he has with Ellen. Right. So. Mm. Well, yeah, it was, um, it was interesting, yeah, what you're saying about the sort of codes, because, yeah, they, they travel to the, the bombers hangout, and they rescue uh, Ellen pretty, pretty sort of, you know, unscathed, but doing a lot of damage to... Oh, they the blow! They the, blow the battery straight up. <laughs> yeah, they just they just wreck shit up. That's where the titular street of fire comes in, because Willem Dafoe, yeah. after the battery has been completely obliterated, he walks through, walks out of the flame, and is like, "Hey, Tom Cody, this isn't over yet. Like, we're gonna fuck each other up before the day is over." Yeah. Uh, and then he just turns and walks back into the fire. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what the hell? Wearing his now, I feel like he's I feel like, like at this point. We, we really, we really have to acknowledge his costume at this point, which is like all oh, armpit height, armpit height, like nipple height, um, like PVC leather daddy fishing waders, <laughs> kind of kind of thing. And like yeah. you said, when you see those like those close ups of Willem Dafoe's face, his yell before he tackles smooth. him in the final fight yeah. is like yep. the best. You could just meme that, you know what I mean? It's just the best oh, shit ever. Oh my god! It's, uh, yeah, they they still had, um, you know, like like you said, they they sort of take the girl and they get out, and uh, you know, Willem Dafoe's Raven says, you know, you and me are still going to have it out, and then he, you know, they escape. Uh, Rick Moranis's character, I can't remember, Fish. What was the name of his? Yeah, something like that. Manager Fish. Billy uh, Fish. Is, yeah, is saying. Ah, well, you know, I thought you were a big stupid idiot, but here we are. We, we got out clean and you earned your money. And um, Tom says, yeah, it's not that easy. It's not over. So they need Fucking to then idiot. get... <laughs> they, need to, they need to then actually get themselves back home. And I, f- I feel like this is where there was the sort of similarity, the thematic similarity to some of um, Walter Hill's other movies, which is I think he has has a lot of that real fixation on you know, the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a uh, lot of like emotions flying in this part just because you, there's a lot of like hurt, 
pasts between all these different people. Yeah. And even the new ones who started to develop a relationship with, you know, individual members of the group, they all get kind of put on strain when Ellen is added to the group. And yeah. obviously mm. Ellen and Tom have a relationship and Ellen and uh, Billy have a relationship yeah. and McCoy and Tom have a relationship. And you just kind of see all of their dynamics get kind of thrown to the wind um, when they're all forced to interact with each other uh, and all sit in close proximity to each other for basically the rest of the movie as they run away from, um, you know, the, the bombers uh, who are pursuing them. Yeah, and it's it's at this point that I felt like there was a lot of sort of similarity to um, to his earlier movie, The Warriors, mm. where yeah. it's, now, it's now this... Um, you, you just have to get across this hostile city at nighttime back into a safe place. Um, and e- effectively, everybody is out to get you. Uh, the cops are out to get you. This other gang is out to get you. And yeah, it, so it had... To yeah, the the, the only people they befriend is the uh, uh, local singers who are driving to uh, you know, a, a pretty shitty gig. Um, yeah, which unfortunately also Rick or, or uh, Fish ends up kind of becoming their manager and although like the last thing he says is uh well they, they, they end up getting to open for <laughs> for LNA which is yeah, what which is was good the, for them which is yeah but I, I I have this feeling every like because fish is gonna take them <laughs> on that I'm like oh no I don't know like if they made a sequel I don't know if they would have yeah. made it you know what I mean just because of they would start Rick. raging <laughs> against the fish you know well, yeah, the, I mean, they only they only wind up encountering these guys in the first place because they have to ditch their stolen, they have to ditch their stolen car. Right. And they're looking and around they're, for they're some out wheels. They're on the street. Yeah. They're out on the street, and they find out the cops are looking for them. So, um, so they basically just carjack this tour bus. <laughs> yeah. Just a yeah, just a like a repurposed you know school bus. Well, and then they have and a really odd interaction when they get pulled over by the police, or they get stopped before they can cross back into the part of town that they were in before. And it's an odd interaction because the cops are pulling them over for a legitimate reason, which is that they're looking for whoever just blew up an entire <laughs> bar, <laughs> uh, and the people who they're looking for are in there. But then they start like giving them a hard time over like the band, like the band that they're with, um, and it becomes this really like, do you know what? You guys aren't on our side either, so fuck you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's really emblematic of the overall attitude of the film of this sort of like, you know, it's almost like a group of lone wolves yep. getting together and fighting everyone. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> Rock and roll, I, baby. I did. I did like the little exchange on the bus where, um, where you know the the it's, cops it, get on and yeah. say, well, "What's you know, what's going on here?" You know, and um, Billy Billy Fish sort of steps up and goes, "Ah, well, I'll do what you know what I can do to offer my assistance in this situation," and says, "You guys, we're trying to get through here and play a gig." What'll it take to grease the wheels, you know, and pulls out his bill billfold and chucks him some money and they say, eh, how about a bit more money? And he goes, all right, and gives it to them <laughs> and they go, thanks, and stick it in their pocket and then say, you were a little too excited about paying us <laughs> off. So, you know, we think something's up. Everybody <laughs> up the bus. Yeah. Which, again... And then um, they start shotgunning the cop cars until they explode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and again, you know, Tom, Tom marches them out with a shotgun at their back, gets everybody to lie down, and then he just shreds their cars <laughs> and motorbikes before getting everybody out of there. So, again, you know, it's not... There, there was the... It was like, cops don't violence. get too greedy, man. Like, just yeah. take your goddamn money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So they do manage to escape back to their neck of the woods, and um, 
Yeah, this, this is where you see all the, all the hurt feelings kind of breaking everyone apart. Um, and it's, it's a really bad time for everyone to be broken apart because obviously Willem Dafoe has plans on showing up the next morning and probably killing all of them. Yeah. Um, and this is where you see sort of like Ellen and um, uh, Rick Moranis' character, Billy, they're, they're going to try and go back to their life. They're going to head out of town and continue gigs elsewhere. Meanwhile, McCoy thought that, you know, she had some sort of bond with Cody that does exist. It was happening, but Cody's denying it because, you know, he's, he's not really sure what to make of you know, his relationship with saving Ellen for money versus was he doing it because he actually cares for her. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, like, weird hang-ups that everybody has uh, that they don't have time for. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, actually, there's a a very strange point in here somewhere, which is, and I'm sure I'm not getting the timeline right, but like you said, there's a bunch of of hurt feelings. Um, Billy's convinced. Very teen um, movie stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bi- like Billy's convinced that Ellen is going to go back with Tom and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, he uh, he fronts up and gives him his money and says, you earn all your money. Uh, Tom takes uh, the very small cut that he promised to McCoy and then throws the rest of the money back into his face. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I think was the, the big the big signifier to Ellen that he was just doing it for her and it was never about the money. Yeah, you, I don't think you can get any more literal of a signifier than, yeah. I'm, than I'm not yep. doing it for the money than like Tossing throwing out the money. Tossing grand <laughs> into her boyfriend's face. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, which which makes Ellen run downstairs and kiss him in the rain. And, yep. Oh, it's and very romantic. Beautiful. Very, very, very dreamy. Very, yeah. very uh, mythical. But then, <laughs> <laughs> After this point, so and and he passes on passes on the cut to McCoy, and then at this point where they have to have this showdown with um, he has to have this showdown with Raven, and he wants to keep Ellen safe, so he just knocks her out cold. Yeah, he just punches her in the he face. Just <laughs> in the face, <laughs> which is a really uh, weird moment, yeah. actually. Yeah, it's really. very strange because it's just, there it aren't just very many cases like, of like heroically punching a woman <laughs> unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I, I don't know if I, I assume it's supposed to come off as like, look, I don't have time to stand around and convince you that you should stay here for your own safety. So I'm just going to hurt you. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to keep you safe by concussing you and handing you over to these guys on a train. Yeah, I, I, I'll confess I I laughed really hard. So did I. Yeah. Uh, and I was, I was, I was like, pretty baffled. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe my eyes. Like, I was just like, because they still play it off like he's totally the hero. Yeah. Be, yeah, sure. But it's just so funny. Yeah, it's so funny. Just it's just like, is that, is, it, yeah, yeah, is that the not, best way you could have done it, man? Yeah. Like, really? You couldn't think of a... Any other way. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> you just needed to act. You needed to get it done. Oh, man. That's right. That's oh, a really right. funny moment, so though. Funny. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, and then, I, and then I it comes to the final confrontation, right? Yeah, um, uh, like a message has been passed along via the cops, which is, and, you know, and the cops say, "Look, we want you to clear out of town because Raven's coming in here, and either one of you guys is going to kill each other or whatever, and either way, we're going to throw both of you in jail. So just leave and defuse the whole situation." Uh, to which Tom says, "No." <laughs> and, <laughs> and they then the cops like do the right thing son and be at <laughs> yeah. a town in the morning and Tom's like nah, <laughs> nah pass. I got a train strong yeah. pass yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and, uh, and, the, and the whole gang pulls up on their motorcycles ready to start some shit there's way too many people 
Yeah. Uh, and I think I, and I think it's the cop that's there, and I think Billy is there to confront them and be like, "No one's here that you're looking for, buddy." Yeah. Uh, and then Willem Dafoe, I think, just punches Rick Moranis in the face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but um, but well, there's an interesting uh, point harkening back to what you were saying about westerns, which is that all the people of the neighborhood come out. With like right, yeah, because that because oh, yeah. that happens after because after I think Cody shows up and then the people who care about Cody show up to watch obviously and then a second later Bill Paxton the bartender who got punched the shit out of by McCoy earlier clearly no hard feelings about it now no. he's just like I'm gonna protect my my town and yeah it becomes like a full out like teenage gang war between the local him. leather mo- motorcycle gang yeah. and. You know, just the, the the group that wants to protect their rock singer. <laughs> kind of reminded me of uh, just the, in the sense of you know the civilians coming together to help save the day. Death Wish Three. Kind of they come all together at the end, and they just to just to battle the. A bad little bit guys. more teenage rebellion. Well, for sure, a little bit more sure. sweetness. For sure. And uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely a little less. Yeah. Yeah, but it, but it's also got that kind of magnificent seven vibe of well, mm-hmm. the townspeople who who hired us to help you. You right. guys get involved with protecting your own town too. Yeah, and they, exactly. they have their they have their showdown with, as you mentioned. They go, all right, we had a couple of these bought over, <laughs> and it's a couple of like coal pickaxes. Which, when they when they pulled those out, I was just like, that is fucking terrifying. <laughs> yeah, for real. I just want to know who brought them. I'm I'm guarantee you it was the kamikaze screaming dude who brought those. Oh, absolutely. That that dude's off his rocker. And and again, (laughs) before they start fighting, it's like completely silent. That guy just yells again. And there's a close-up of him yelling. And I'm like, I don't don't know what's up with this guy. He just went in the audition room and started yelling. They're like, this guy's got something. He's (laughs) just really, really, really excited. But yeah, this is where you really feel that 50s teenage rebellion movie totally come come into play with the sort of... Um, you know, the, the, the very sharks versus jets vibe at this point. Yeah. But with that sort of Western primal bluntness to it, where they're mm. all just two dudes are going to literally like axe each or like hammer the shit out of each other. Uh, and again, the way that they fight with them, it's so weird. Cause they're, they're really just swinging as powerfully as they can. Yeah. Well, and then, mm. and then sometimes they hit, uh, like the handles of each yeah. other's thing yeah. and they do that like lightsaber crossing thing <laughs> yeah. where it's like it's all like it, it, all this like intense like almost spiritual fighting versus like actual physical fighting I'm like guys yeah, you're, just, sure. you're just like pushing really hard up against each other like there's not a lot the, yeah. <laughs> the whole time the whole, every time that happened I kept thinking to myself you know how this would play out in real life is that thing just sliding down the handle and mashing someone's knuckles <laughs> over and over again <laughs> But they do have a moment, though, where, um, where you know, Tom manages to disarm Raven, uh, who's standing underneath him. And, you know, so th- at this point, presumably, he could have just pulverized his skull like a rotten pumpkin with his big, uh, with his big pickaxe. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, I love the bit where Willem Dafoe, all leather, takes off his leather jacket to reveal a complete leather like just undershirt. And yeah. I was like, Jesus, <laughs> like, yeah. what is leather. the point? <laughs> But yeah, you're uh, right, because he's got Willem Dafoe on the ground, and Cody has a chance to completely obliterate him, and Cody is just like, nah, man, I, I have a, you know, a, a code of honor, and that is I'm not going to just bash some teenager's head in with a, with a hammer yeah. in the middle of the street in front of the entire town. <laughs> town, yeah. Yep. <laughs> but then they start, uh, do, they start the fisticuffs. Oh, 
we are. And then they, yeah, they finally get down to it. And again, it, it has. So that was another moment of, of you know, code of a bit of a bit of honor among street toughs. And um, and once they have finished, and Tom has, you know, finally knocked um, Raven out cold. Yeah, he punches him uh, in the face like twenty times, and Walter Hill cuts on every single one of them so that you yeah. feel each <laughs> one. <laughs> you get ready for each swing. <laughs> and. Um, and and yeah, and then they're, they're sort of finally finished, and his uh, you know Raven's sergeant at arms, his uh, wordless, his wordless right hand man who's been with him the whole time, sort of stands and stares for a minute, and then he just goes, "All right, let's go." <laughs> it's they done. Just scoop him up, <laughs> just scoop him up, and throw him onto a motorbike, and they all just get out of there because again, they've sort of gone. Well, that was the deal. It was obviously <laughs> yeah. these two challenging yeah, each they, other. They've, they've lost the principled battle, so <laughs> therefore yeah, there's no they war. They still have some principles. <laughs> yeah. Like after all this rape and chaos yeah. and kidnapping or whatever, they're like, well, we did lose, guys. I guess it's done. You know what? He beat them fair and square. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the rules. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then everyone kind of goes back to their their lives a little bit because Ellen goes immediately back into putting on a concert. It's almost like she just had like a, a concert disruption, yeah. you know, for like a day. Uh, she goes right back into it. She starts performing tonight. It was is what it means to be young, but opened by the uh, sort of like um, African American duop band yeah. that they, uh, they the, had. The Sorrels, they were called. Yes, yeah, I love their contrast too to everything else because it's mm-hmm. kind of they have like that smooth sound to them, mm-hmm. whereas everybody else kind of has that you know grit rock and roll kind of in your face vibe, mm-hmm. and, and they just had that that smooth. Uh, vocal styling that they had so it was mm-hmm. a, a really cool contrast yeah so the, the, the film is bookended by two concert sequences basically and that is the the nowhere fast and tonight is what it means to be young it's night of what it means to be young uh, specifically is very I find uh, both lyrically and tonally like this about this like ephemeral quality of like that really captures these characters in the sense of you know it's all about the actions you kind of make in the moment and having that code is what kind of, you know, led to Cody making these these decisions in that moment, even if Cody isn't always the best dude. Like, he just decides to punch women in the face because they, they are uh, being obtrusive to his plan. <laughs> um, but it he, was for her own good somehow. Yeah. <laughs> but he shares a kiss with Ellen, uh, and it's, it's, like, lit in this, like, really deep uh, neon red... And it just, it, t- it talks about, the song's all about how we're, we're dreaming and we're living in the moment and all of these things. And it, it, you really do kind of just get swept up in it largely. It's sort of like dreamy, retro future, dirtbag, uh, neon craziness. Yeah. It's just, it's very pure and it's very sincere. And honestly, I fucking love the shit out of it. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, man! And again, he stays true to his character. You know, he says to her, "She's she's kind of thinking, oh, I wonder if we're going to be back together now because, you know, he's shown me that he loved me by not doing it for the money or whatever." And you know, he <laughs> says, and he says to her, uh, "You know, I'm not going to be the kind of guy who's going to be like carrying your guitars around." Yeah, like, not going to be your roadie. And that's it. Yeah, if, and if and if she was, you and know, she's like, successful. fair enough. Maybe when my life has changed, I'll come find you again. But yeah, you know, this isn't going to work. But until now. He's, he remains the lone wolf. Yep. So Ellen, uh, but it, Ellen but he stays. Says to her, oh yeah. He says to her, you know, if but it, but if you ever need me for anything, mm-hmm. you know, you call and I'll come. So he, he yeah. basically just says, you know, 
anything like this ever again, I'll show up. It's it's it's, it's tough, guys. There. Speak for I love you, babe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You just can't say it. You can't, you can't break uh, that I wall like, down. <laughs> but but I like that he's also just kind of stating, you know, the. But he's he, he's there at her disposal, really, and that and that that is his sign of affection for her. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's and that's the core of what his character has been in this movie as well, which is you know the the ex soldier mercenary. Like like you were saying about call, calling in, you know, a, a lone mm-hmm. gunslinger to sort out a situation. He's like, if you need that in the future, I'll still be there. Yeah, and then he he drives off with McCoy, his uh, his 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 loner compatriot. Yeah, <laughs> and they're gonna go save another city. I, I imagine. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's they, what they should have made a sequel. They should have made a sequel. Well, apparently Walter Hill wanted Cody. to. Cody. He wanted to. Apparently, he thought of this as the first movie in a franchise about oh, Cody. Oh, man. Really? Uh, but we aren't going to live in that world because this movie bombed at the box office. Uh, it did, did horribly. Uh, but I guess we'll enter the reductive rating round on yeah, this one, I think. Um, we went a little long on this one. Uh, for me, uh, honestly, uh, I've seen a couple Walter Hill films. I think this is my third or fourth one that I've seen. This is my favorite one that I've seen and the one that I've nice. most deeply uh, felt. And I think that a huge uh, part of it is the fact that Walter Hill is just genuinely expressing a sort of like childlike wonder for these this particular setting which is a setting i both enjoy too i love westerns i love teen movies i love uh you know 80s power rock neon uh and 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 it feels that there's just something very truthful and elemental and pure about this movie that i don't think we get uh a lot um and i loved its sort of like mythic fantasy dirtbag quality uh i don't think i could ask for more in a film and I'll leave you actually with the words of a uh, friend of the show uh, and writer that I love, Sydney Taylor, who wrote about the film. Um, and she said that you're going to hear a lot of words like trash and bad and dumbass surrounding this movie, and, but don't think that it's only valuable for its aesthetics. It is Greek tragedy. It is post-war, post-war nightmare. It's one of the best comic book movies. It's one of the best musicals. It's sci-fi. It's young adult. It's opera. It's like 50 different things and like nothing else before it. It's influential, magical, and mystical. And yester- it's yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. And I couldn't agree more, so it's super five out of five for me. Oh, nice. Nice. What about you, Andrew? Uh, yeah, like a, a, a couple of the other things that I wanted to sort of shout out about this movie that... I think really, really help it along as well is this movie is an incredibly tight 90 minutes. It is yeah, just that, that. that perfect that perfect length of a movie. The, I think that the editing is super tight. I love the dialogue. I love the characters. I love the lighting. I love the shooting. And like there's there's really something to be said for, you know, like I was saying, it's a, it's a real sort of hero's journey. The, the events of the entire movie take place across the span of what is probably a weekend Mm. you know everything that happens in that movie is pushing forward the plot or the characters Mm -hmm. um it is it is just really tightly edited it's it's propulsively edited you know especially that whole middle span where they are well it it, it it's fast there's never a dull moment yeah 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 and and something that i know a lot of people have a lot of criticism and scorn for is um like christopher nolan movies where you know people say, "What about these plot holes and that sort of stuff?" But also with a lot of Christopher Nolan movies, they are so tightly edited, with purely with a mind to just pushing the movie forward, that I find myself saying a lot of the time, "If you just keep a movie 
moving forward, there are so many things I'm willing to forgive. So many <laughs> yeah. things. Absolutely. You know, I'm absolutely willing to it is, forgive. It, it is like a train. Yeah, I think people, honestly, especially now, uh, focus way too hard on these plot holes, quote unquote. Yeah. You know, it's like sometimes, yes, mm. it's quite obvious what's going on is dumb. Uh, but, but a lot of the time, I, I feel like you know, it's just forgive these little things because it's it's about progressing the story and the characters, and that this movie does that extremely well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, like like I said, I you know re rewatching this movie. I'm sure I've seen it ages ago, but rewatching it, I just found myself enjoying every minute of it, and not a second of it in an ironic way either. No, yeah. me neither. Oh, I, I think I think that's 100%. what what Sydney was getting at with people calling it like trash or or yeah. sort of like you know yeah. pulp in a sense. When I I really don't think so. I really think that this is an expertly produced film, and maybe the yep. script could have used a a little, you know, I, I could see someone reading the script and not seeing where its value lies sure. uh, until you see what Walter Hill does with it visually. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, to to me, you know the style is substance so i don't under really understand how people you yeah. know don't don't get that i think that this yeah. the, that this fantasy land that walter hill creates aesthetically is more important than anything uh, yeah. uh you know that you know a, a character might say that you think is silly absolutely <laughs> and, and even so then he is creating you know a childlike thing that he would have loved tough guys yeah. motorcycles yeah. they're going to say silly and for shit. all those reasons i mean for all those reasons, you know, that tight editing, great amount of time, there, there are very few wasted moments in the whole film. Um, and like you're saying, I just personally, I love any film where I really get the sense that the, you know, that, that the filmmaker has just created a world. Yeah, you know, for They've sure. just really, really done some world building. They've really built a very specific sense of atmosphere and place. And I love it for all those reasons. And I, too, give it a five. Oh, shit. We got a good old double five going on here. Oh. Here we go. All right, Jamie, you're up. All right. <laughs> well, I'm about to ruin that, so I really apologize. <laughs> but, um, a one. I think, a one, bitches. A lot of awful film. Uh, no, no, I, I think this is, is fantastic. Uh, the, the only thing, I, I was the whole time kind of comparing it to uh, Phantom of the Paradise. Mm, just yeah, we just did Phantom of the Paradise, which is, yeah. And uh, and I just that one's a five for me, and I mm. it just this movie didn't quite get there for mm. me. I mean, it's a super strong four. Um, I love the fact that they could grab so many decades, mold them together, and it yeah. still makes sense. Uh, the tone is still consistent that way. Yeah, uh, like you guys have said, you know, the the character progression is constant. The the movie never stops. There's no filler. Um, the the sound it's the soundtrack to is look fantastic. At. Yeah, it's gorgeous to look at. I love what they did with the sets. Um, the the acting itself is beyond entertaining. Although I will say uh, one thing, I for the majority of it, I really like uh, Tom Cody or whoever plays. Oh yeah, him. Michael Perry. Yeah. But I do feel like there's just a couple moments in there that I felt like he was a little dull. Honestly, mm. like he wasn't giving enough. He was just kind of bored. It seemed I, that is his character. But there was just moments I felt like he could have just given a little more. I guess. Mm. Um, and uh, but yeah, I I mean everything you guys have said, I agree with. Uh, but for me, it, for me, it's a four, super solid four. Sweet. Well, I think that about wraps it up for Streets of Fire, and I think we're gonna jump straight into its companion film, 
another rock and roll wacky uh, movie from the year 1999. Wacky as hell, too. <laughs> yes, we're going to be talking about Wild Zero. Yeah, let's do it. Tobio. We are talking Wild Zero, the 1999 Japanese uh, alien invasion zombie splatter horror film slash punk rock uh, extravaganza uh, by sure. Tetsuro Takuchi. <laughs> There's a lot going on in this film. Either way, uh, the film is totally bonkers, and I had never heard of it, and yeah. hardly anybody that I follow on, I don't know, Andrew, if you know the website Letterboxd, but it's where I kind of keep track and log of all my films, and I follow a lot of people on there, and I can generally get a basic idea of what kind of, like, friends and colleagues that are also fellow film critics and writers kind of have an opinion of a movie. I knew, like, two people who had seen this movie, so I was like, <laughs> yeah. I had no There's idea. Like a thousand logged-ins on... Letterbox. Yeah, so this this is one of the most obscure movies we've talked about so far on the show. For sure. Uh, 100%. And... Uh, <laughs> let's, let's begin. <laughs> I, there's probably reasons for that, and I guess we'll get into it when we talk about the movie. <laughs> um, but I guess the idea is that there is a, a Japanese punk rock band from the 90s um, yeah. called G- Guitar Wolf. That's the name of the band? Or are yeah, they just Wolf? No, Guitar, Guitar Wolf, Wolf is the band. But then they have and he's bass also wolf. the name of the singer, right? Yes, who yeah, plays guitar. Because then they have bass wolf and drum wolf. All yep. the members of the band are a wolf yeah. that collectively make guitar wolf. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Which, for, yeah, for for the record, in case it wasn't clear, they are a they are a real band and they are also playing themselves in this horror yeah. movie. Yes. Is, um, and I just assumed that based on, uh, well, one, the acting. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and two, just kind of how they use these characters. They kind of use them as more of like a mythical superhero kind of thing. Yeah, like you, you get the vibe that you get when you see like a celebrity cameo when they're put yeah. in as like this sort of like yep. that they're they're playing up their... But what I will say is I think that the, although, you know, obviously their acting skills are minimal because mm-hmm. they're just... Musicians the movie is built cool. around them, though, but is the yes. thing. And I do think that this, the, the leader, the guy that has most of the dialogue in the movie out of the band, mm-hmm. uh, although, you know... He yells a lot. Yeah, but I love <laughs> that. It's, it's, I think it's part of the, the kind of this, this rock and roll punk vibe that this movie has. Like, even well, when because they're, on they're stage, definitely still playing characters, fire, right? I think that's know, the like, idea, that they've, they've yeah. created characters for their band and their performance, and that's sort of you know, now the movie is about these characters. Right, and it seems like the, the, the leader is just on 100 all the time, you know? Oh, I mean, yeah, he can't like, turn that shit off. Like, yep. every yeah. single thing he says. Well, that's amazing. the shit that saves the day, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Rock and roll that energy. will save the universe. That energy, man. That's what it's about. Uh, and, I, I mean, I guess... And liberation lo- of love. I guess loosely the story is that some aliens have decided to visit Japan. Yep. And while they were there, they started turning people into zombies. Yep. Uh, and, Blue zombies. And, and then uh, they fight them. And uh, there's a guy 
who really loves the band. Obsessed with he's the obsessed with the band. Singer. He wants to be he wants to be part of Guitar Wolf, and he follow he and he he wants to have Guitar Wolf's energy and translate it to his daily life, where he can be a real a real hero and use yeah. it in this this specifically I, um, as it comes to unfold this alien invasion zombie scenario, where he's going to use the teachings of Guitar Wolf yes. to to save him and save. This uh, this girl that he's interested in protecting. Yes. And meanwhile, on the side of that, there's also a subplot about a gang, uh, a yeah, trio, like, a, like a like Badlands style, like teens driving across the country doing crimes and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I wasn't really that, sure how they fit in. Yeah. Well, they're the ones that kind of like they because they turn into the zombies eventually, right? Is that yes. You're talking about the couple. Yes. The, the, the couple and the the third the other dude. Right, Masao, I think it was his name. Yes. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Because the, I was gonna say the opening is a concert. I'm I'm trying to remember this movie a little bit because I'll be honest, I so, was so flabbergasted by the majority of it <laughs> that I, I didn't take recognizably human notes. Like, I, like I, at one point, I just have a note here that says "cute heart." I think that's a I, I think that's a thing <laughs> oh, that happens. No, I know exactly oh, what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, it's the it's the meat cute. With yeah. Ace and uh, and the girl, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Tobio. because 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 the Tobio. heart the heart the heart goes around her head. See, I loved that. I I, I thought that that scene was just like one of the most adorably <laughs> awkward and amazing things I've just ever seen. Like it, it oh, felt yeah, almost anime like with how the uh, like with the hearts and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. It just felt very stylized. And mm-hmm. I enjoyed yeah. That. It, well, it it also almost gave me that kind of um vaguely Tarantino-ish vibe of mm. a very, very self-consciously superimposing something onto the screen. Y- yes, um, I felt a lot of that too. So, so yeah, the movie opens with a, a gig taking place in a, in a club, Guitar Wolf are playing, uh, the crowd's loving it. Um, backstage. Oh yeah, because I, I guess we should talk about how the music maybe differs from Streets of Fire, but this the music, music is just pure fucking adrenaline punk rock, like in your face. Harshness. Oh yes, yeah, yes. it's just I like pure that. sort of garage noise punk. Kind yeah, of stuff. <laughs> and it happens throughout the film, like even mm-hmm. when it's just. You know, like typical, you know, zombies are after you. You know, you're used to the it's scored the by their music and stuff, and right? Yeah. and whatever. But this is just blast beats and like just <laughs> well, just kicking zombie ass and or zombies are kicking ass as well. And yeah, I I felt like the the soundtrack just kind of made it made this movie go 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 like the entire time. Yeah, I felt like it was. I never it, felt like I was. I felt like down. It took place in the <laughs> universe of one of their music videos, for sure. Which is yeah. which is. Honestly, one of my favorite parts of of the movie is that it just felt like a really extended version of a music video for their tone and style and attitude. Um, Well, have you guys ever seen, um, what's the the Daft Punk uh, movie that's like... um, Tron? No, no, there's Electroma. Uh, I don't know that I've seen that. I haven't seen that, no. Yeah, Electroma, that's like a a full-length sci-fi movie from 2006 yeah directed oh. by daft punk and oh, the entire cool. thing is so it's 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 like this but for daft punk where the whole thing's just like a weird sci-fi highway movie with you know the the two robots getting about and doing well weird i'm stuff. gonna find that right when we finish yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but that's that's what came to mind immediately but, when you were saying kind right. of like kind of like an extended, a feature length yeah fe- feature translation length of their yeah and That's guess, really what it does ultimately feel like for, you know, for, I think that there's a lot of great qualities that come out of that, but also 
you know, it, for some of the parts that I think worked less for me is also kind of comes from that. So can I let's get in those examples because I'm curious as to what doesn't work for you in this film. For me, I'm going to I'm going to say and I, and this might not be fair because we are <laughs> pairing it with Streets of Fire. But when I watched Streets of Fire and then I watched this one, my main complaint was that all of the things I loved about Streets of Fire, that it was completely and utterly sincere and not posturing, was the reverse inherently kind of like of the style of this kind of thing, which is that as it's not necessarily a bad thing because as you know, people like Tarantino and others do it, but I just don't know that this filmmaker in particular is as skilled as someone like Tarantino to do this sort of like very self-conscious, very... Um, I would say sort of like pastiche. I, I, I have a feeling that it's using like a lot of elements of midnight movies, which are very honestly done effectively in its style and very thrilling, but I find it almost not genuine. Oh, okay. And the stuff that worked for me was when it tries to, a little bit to lean into it's the more romantic stuff. Oh, okay. See, I actually liked the stuff between uh, about the kid who wants to be like Guitar Wolf, and he's like, I need to use their attitude and their style, and I need to I need to become like them. And Guitar Wolf's like, just be cool and righteous. Just be yourself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like like that that stuff. I had a lot of fun with and. It, it was more when it went to the alien movie and the action and the zombie stuff that it actually worked less for me, if that makes really? sense. Really? Wow. So that, that, that I was like, man, I wish I was watching a George Romero movie <laughs> well, or the, like the Assault on is. Precinct 13 where Carpenter like raises that kind of stuff into like what I would consider more artful use of it. Okay. But this, this almost, the, the funny thing is it almost feels like a movie that is not from 1999 in the sense that it is mm-hmm. it, it's clearly very low budget um, mm-hmm. a lot yes. of it was shot in Thailand and the zombies are played by uh, members of the military and their families <laughs> yeah I read that <laughs> awesome. um, I, I love how incredibly amateur the zombies are but oh, yeah. um but yeah, uh, some of the gore effects aren't that bad, though. Yeah, the gore. There's even like when uh, Ace pulls up to uh, that abandoned van, and they're, and they're like, like ripping a dude apart. apart. Yeah, and stuff like it's it's out there. I mean, sure. you can you can tell that they cut around it a little bit, oh, for but sure. yeah, but yeah, but it's it's not bad I, considering that's, I think, it's sort of like I respected yeah. about this film was the fact that I'm looking at this low, clearly low budget movie, and I'm just like it's making I'm, you believe yeah, that it's bigger I'm than still that. Yeah, believe, like okay for the. The first guy that gets popped in the face in the club. Uh, in oh, like when his head explodes? Ten, yeah, it yeah. explodes. I laughed. Now, I, it was good, I though. I thought <laughs> when I saw that uh, that it was a practical effect somehow, and I'm like, how the fuck did they do that? The CGI was just, I think, better with the lighting there. Oh, now, yeah. as the movie progresses, you do start to see the CGI way more with the zombies' heads mm. being blown off. But I did still feel like uh, the fact that the zombies were blue probably helped with the CGI looking a little bit... Uh, more real, uh, right? Like, I but, but, think but, but, it was but, but you're saying that it's like its tone sort of like covered up any sort of it. budgetary constraints. Yeah, because even had. like when they started popping off CGI zombie heads, I was still on board, and I didn't feel like it took me out of the film at all. It almost mm. added to the style of the movie mm. for me. So, um, well, yeah. let let me let me see if I can also put into words what I I feel like we're on the same page here, Josh. Where the stuff that worked for me. Was was the stuff where they were really leaning into what the movie was clearly intended to be, which is an embodiment of the spirit of Guitar Wolf. 
as a band. Yes, and they loved that stuff. Yeah, their their whole their whole kind of um, you know their vibe, their aesthetic, um, their mission in life, all that sort of thing. It was housed in what really felt to me it like it actually felt not like it was from 1999. It felt like a genuine like late seventies yeah. zombie movie. Like Absolutely. a cheap one in that some of those movies that when you watch them, you kind of feel like they, they, to the extent that they had to, that they were making it up as they went along as far <laughs> as scripting and stuff goes. And right. it, has, it has a lot of the very familiar trappings of that kind of genre in that there are, you know, a couple of disparate groups of people getting around doing their own thing. In this mm-hmm. movie, there's Guitar Wolf and Ace doing their stuff. There is a a couple of Yakuza guys who are on their way to, to do a, a weapons deal with uh, a woman who seems to be fr- like a mercenary or from the military or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also this gang of small-time crooks who are attempting to rob uh, a gas station, which is where they sort of bump into Ace and Tobio. And yes. over the course of that's the Because where Ace does his number... Ace is number one. Like, <laughs> yeah. and he he accidentally saves the the store from being robbed, too. Yeah. Because yeah. he, like, he I, just opens up the door. Tobio, and I, I, love, I love that he comes in and, like, pulls these knives out and Tobio just faints, like, instantly. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, the other, and the other guys who don't actually work there just stare at him. I, I did enjoy <laughs> the... I did enjoy the absolute ineptness of the criminals because they once yeah. they manage to stagger out of there and get back into the getaway car and everybody says what happened why is your nose bleeding where's the money and he just starts, <laughs> yeah. just starts crying well, that's starts I love, crying in the car I'm pretty sure that they didn't actually plan the robbery because there is a, a, a line where they're like, because he comes back and he's like, so you made us go through all that shit. You didn't even steal anything. Yeah. That's literally yeah, one yeah. of the lines. So I think, I don't know if they were exactly well, 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 it, it seems like they were getting themselves so hyped up to do a crime that they forgot to do the crime. Yeah. Like they, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, they, that they went in and they pulled out the knives and they're like, we're here to do crime. And they got so stunned by everyone's response to that, that yeah. they just left without actually doing it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I th- so I think true. so I think as a film, like I said, the intention was let's make a movie, you know, let's let's make like some kind of splatterhouse movie that it that centers around Guitar Wolf and their deal, their aesthetic. And I um, do I do think that it does properly embody. I mean, I, I'll have to assume because I'm not familiar with Guitar Wolf outside of the film, but it, I do feel like I have an understanding uh, of the yeah. general vibe and yes. attitude and, Absolutely. Uh, you know... Uh, yeah. Drinking, doing punk, and just always being about rock and roll 100% of the time. Uh, yep. but, and, get, and do your hair. Make sure yeah. you're combing that hair, you know? Oh, and, and, well, and, and, and loving, and loving, of course. <laughs> yep. That's the, that's the main liberated. thing. liberated. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> But then, Love but has no boundaries or genders. Yeah, that's right. So, so around around that though, they said, okay, there's there's not enough there to make a movie out of. So we need some other stuff in there. And then they kind of, you know, housed it all on the bare bones of a zombie alien movie. And it it was that stuff that to me felt like the movie kind of spinning its wheels and trying to get somewhere. Um, and. Yeah, so it was it was the stuff that was very Guitar Wolf specific that really worked. Or whenever they were on screen, it was good. There's there's stuff going on. They're doing some wild. Yeah, shit. R- really, I I found that it was the stuff with Ace and Tobio and the stuff with the Guitar Wolf that really sold me. That I every time it was them, which is a, honestly a, a big part of the movie. It was most of the time that when we it got to the 
any sort of like the club owner. Yeah, or any sort of I love, or, or I any love sort of the club owner. <laughs> yes, thank I wanna, you. <laughs> All he's doing Wait, is which one's the club owner? He's the guy with the short shorts and the lace tie-up. Oh, oh right. Say, which which now is the we've, best we've costume com- I've ever seen. I forgot seen. about him. We've completely oh, overlooked this guy who is my favorite character in the movie, I think. Because, because this, yeah. is, this is the guy that has bad blood with Guitar Wolf, yeah. right? This oh, yeah. Is, they go. They have a, a duel at the end and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So, yeah he's, the, he's the one who's like keeps the cl- chasing after them. Yeah, and I think it's probably something to do with... I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering, but he was like the club owner, so I'm sure it had something to do with their relationship business wise and then it mm. just formulated into this giant epic you know rock and roll battle to the death I guess well the oh, way yeah. um, the way that all seemed to pan out was the very beginning of the movie they are guitar wolf are playing their set in this club uh, the club owner is doing extremely greasy crime things backstage yeah. like uh, beating a prostitute half to death and uh, forcing drugs into the face of another one um, <laughs> when when Guitar Wolf are coming backstage to get what I assume is to get paid or whatever after the show, they see a, a thoroughly uh, beaten sex worker being led away by one of this guy's henchmen who all have shaved heads and shaved eyebrows, which is extremely unnerving. Um, <laughs> Definitely. Right, and then, and then that, that's who gets their head blown off. Yeah, and, they, and, and you know, yeah. this, this henchman says to them, you know what kind of guy the club owner is. You know where you're at, you know. Yeah, and, and I think this is, and obviously Guitar Wolf being the good guys, they reject that. They do not care for this, so they yeah, go Yeah, and, they and go that's where Ace, Ace comes in and saves them, right? This is how things kind of get all set in motion. Yeah, so Ace, Ace is in the bathroom combing his hair and psyching himself up to go into the club owner and demand a, a gig or something. I don't know. Yeah. And, um, and he, he walks in in the middle of a standoff getting himself very comically immediately knocked unconscious, um, but causing enough of a distraction for uh, one of the henchmen to get his head blown off and for the club owner to get two of his fingers shot off, which mm, I believe is probably central to his grievance with the band. Right, and, and, and then this is where Guitar Wolf goes, hey, this kid, he represents what Guitar Wolf believes, yeah. uh, and he gives him a whistle. You bestow on him. whistle this anytime you need Guitar Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> a magical whistle. Yes. Uh, blow on it when you're in trouble, and we will know, and we'll come and help. Um, it, takes, it takes Ace about um, three hours too long to remember that he has this whistle in the middle of uh, get, getting beset <laughs> by zombies and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, like we're saying, I think that the I think that the sort of central love story around Ace and Tobio is really nice, and we would be remiss not to mm-hmm. mention the fact that a this is a movie from 1999. Mm-hmm. B the central romance is between a Japanese guy and uh, and a Thai trans woman, mm-hmm. and so during part That's of of the movie where they're, they're, you know, I think they're sort of admitting their love for each other or. Well, I, I, I think, I think other. that they're, they're kind of revealing their, their, inner their, their inner selves. Yeah. Cause I think that what happens is Ace realizing that he can't fight off a horde of zombies by himself and not remembering that he has a guitar wolf whistle. He goes, I, I am not guitar wolf or I, I, I cannot, I can never, be I, can never I can never live up to the standards. The yeah. He's, he's just, he's, he, yeah, he, he's just like, you know, I, I, I do, I put on the jacket, I do the combing, but it's not enough. You need a, a, a sort of strongness of inner self to really yeah. be a guitar wolf. And that uh, gives, uh, Tobio, this, yeah. uh, Tobio, right. Uh, this, this the, kind the, of courage to show, 
uh, herself, her, her, her true self. And she, and then I mean, there, this scene, I will say, like I think it's just played as maybe a, and I don't know much about it, mm-hmm. but maybe it's a culture thing. Maybe it's that shocking at that time, so they kind of had to play it like it was that shocking because they yeah. do go a little way over the top. Where he's like, Whoa! yeah, yes. like at first when he reads it and runs away, I thought it was like she had like some crazy defect or some shit like that. But she was it, missing but half it, a body. If anything, like... it, it just ends up got a penis. So yeah. it, it's uh that I was a little cross with. I didn't like yeah. no it worked for me still like with the with the within Yeah, the film, it was it was a perfectly but, fine moment, but I was I was watching it and I was like this is Couldn't isn't... get away with it, it, it today. That's no, it seemed it seemed a little <laughs> tiny bit much, but then it yeah. obviously it sort of That's the point though. It is. Then you got Guitar Wolf the, the next scene in the room with him going, love has no boundaries. Do just, it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was some, yeah. He was yeah, just like, you love, you love this girl. Like what the yeah, fuck? What Who doing? cares, Who man? Cares? Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Go nuts, man. Like how, yeah. Love, yeah that's exactly. it. Um, yeah. That's it. Ace, Ace goes and shuts so himself into another setup. room. So he's, so he's teaching him how to be a better guitar wolf. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I think Which, it's just, it, it, it does play off a little much, but I think just with yeah. everything else going on, it worked for me totally. So uh, I, I definitely think I definitely think you got to take into account as well how how over the top everything else in the movie is played. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I guess so, else. Yeah. It would be a little odd if they didn't do that. Honestly, yeah, like, yeah, with, I guess the, so, with yeah. the rest of the movie, for sure. <laughs> everything else is extremely hammy, and um, and Ace freaks out and runs into another room, and he's like, "Oh no, why does it have to be like this?" And at that point, um, Guitar Wolf, the individual as opposed to the band. Uh, appears before him as though he was a spirit guide. <laughs> Just mythic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It says points at him and screams. Says, you love her, don't you? And yeah, and points at him and screams. Ace, love has no boundaries, nationalities, or genders. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, the amount of times that I like did the did the devil horns and went rock and yeah, roll throughout yeah, this film, yeah. I swear to God, yeah, felt it, liberated. And, and yeah, yeah that's a just... that's that's very punk, very sort of. I guess it would be anti-establishment norm at the time. Oh, you know, absolutely. it's very. I um, can imagine, especially in mm-hmm. Japan, they have a more of a conservative mindset. I do, do they? believe. Yeah, interesting. I, I would think uh, at least when it comes to. Uh, the sexual LGBT freedom and liberation, or something and like, like that. that. I would think. Maybe. Mm. I, maybe I'm just speaking out of my. Well, either way, man. Guitar Wolf, the head of the curve on that one. Yeah, right? damn right. Damn well, right. yeah, I think. I think. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild to think of it as a Japanese horror movie from 1999 with a positive, like a really trans-positive message. Yeah, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, I was shocked. Yeah. Like, it, it it jumped it up a notch for me. Yeah, and it, and it's really awesome that you that they do actually put the effort into you know actually showing Ace and Tobia's like relationship throughout the film, and that these people are actually falling for each other um, yeah. in this very desperate situation, and that you know uh, it's it's a really it's honestly a, a pretty decent story for for Ace as the rest of the film sort of turns into the zombies are coming in on everybody and the club owners coming in on everybody and the mercenary is coming after the the criminals and everyone is at a certain point together in a hangar and the zombies are all coming in and then everyone i mean i I don't remember why things moved from the hangar to like the city but they do and then they fight more zombies in the city yeah i can't remember why they moved to i think i know at one point is it because ace and they're going to because because ace blows the whistle right yeah so guitar wolf goes to help ace and tobio yeah and then they're at one point they're they're uh 
they're hiding from the, the shootout that's going on. And then the, because the guy that's been doing drugs on the highway and has a pile of guns in his lap, mm-hmm. a.k.a. the mm-hmm. club owner, has just been driving towards them. And then finally they have their, their little battle there. Right. Um, and th- th- I got to say, once, once this happened, I just knew that I loved this movie because uh, when he blows up the building mm-hmm. and Guitar Wolf jumps out of the exploding building, strumming a guitar, oh, yelling and, rock and roll, and, and, lands and, and, in a superhero position, takes out a gun, can't shoot it, reloads his gun, and then starts shooting. Come on. Oh, yeah, and then, and then <laughs> the, 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 the dude standing behind the, beside the dude with the rocket launcher is combing his combing hair. Combing his hair obviously, to, to kill him. Yeah. it back, yeah. Which kind of reminded me, again, of uh, Death Wish 3 with the rocket launcher death. Oh, again. yeah. <laughs> and he had the same kind of vibe, only this one jumped it up a notch for me just because the guy beside him's doing his hair. They're like smiling with sunglasses. Like, it's just a, such a oh, cool man. tone. I, that the Death Wish time. 3 rocket launcher kill is so <laughs> funny. <laughs> the close up on that dude's face where he's like, woo! <laughs> yeah, so uh, we should note as well that there are, uh, again, the, you know, the scripting of this movie is very loose, but you can really see the moments at which they've said, Hey, you know what? This would be fucking cool. And, uh, <laughs> oh, there's, yeah. there's several of those moments, including when uh, they're getting swarmed by a bunch of zombies and Guitar Wolf arrive, and Guitar Wolf the singer takes out um, a stack of guitar picks in his hand and then starts <laughs> flinging them with lightning speed, shuriken style, into the foreheads <laughs> of all the zombies in the area. You're goddamn so right. There's just all these miscellaneous points at which they go, hey, uh, here's... Wouldn't it be super cool if Guitar Wolf killed a zombie this way? <laughs> yeah, yep. here, is, here is apparently some uh, completely unspecified superpower that Guitar Wolf have had up until this point. <laughs> and that extends all the way to... Um, where they chop a During UFO the climax of the movie, a giant yeah. UFO, where, where once uh, again he's on top of a fucking building, strums the guitar, yells rock and roll, and then his <laughs> guitar turns into a fucking katana. <laughs> what other movie does that, guys? Yeah, right. What other film? Pulls the katana out of the neck of his guitar and slices that UFO like a spaceship open. Oh my god. That's rock and roll. That's what that is. Yep. <laughs> slices the whole belly of a spaceship open, which I guess is the mothership, because uh, then all the zombies just go and keel over. Yeah. Although there was were. one great moment where they, because they, they have this whole th- the theme of this movie by by the end really is kind of that the liberation of of love and you know love holds no bounds it seems because like they have the the, the couple that turned into a zombie and then, and then they love each other as zombies and yeah. kiss as zombies and I was just like that's fucking amazing <laughs> so I mean I yeah I mean I, I I get what you guys are saying in the sense that it's mm. a bit loose uh, and I understand that um, but I just feel like the the uh, the energy of this movie and mm. the and the tone is very consistent I mean mm-hmm. it's wacky throughout the whole thing it just keeps it just, the whole time I was going, is this movie going to keep doing this? Like, surprising me? Like, it's just right. with the outlandish shit that it's doing. And it just, from start to fucking finish, it, it, it does it. So. Yeah, see, th- th- that's where I kind of land on it. I think that it's a really, really effective midnight movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. it, that it, it really, really hits. Like, I imagine with watching this, like, 
with a, I mean, watching it by myself, it, it was it was a joy. But I could I could imagine this played the 2000 uh, Toronto Film Fest uh, in the Midnight Madness, which is one of my favorite things to check out when I cover TIFF because it's where you get all the genre movies and you sit with a big crowd yeah. and you sit there and you yell at the screen while people stab each other and it's great. Yeah. Uh, and this seems like a per, like a really oh really effective version of that kind I'd of movie. I'd kill to see this in theaters, uh, honestly. And. I guess my my only quibble with it, and again, it might complete completely unfair just because we were comparing it with Streets of Fire, was mm-hmm. that I felt a lot more admiration. I felt at a distance from the movie. I felt that there was a, a lot of... Because not being genuine is not the right word. I guess I just felt a lot yeah, of I think self, self-consciousness and... Irony is not the right word either, but I, 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 I was felt at a distance from the movie... Uh, when it wasn't doing um, stuff generally with, with with Ace, even though I think it's really really effective from moment to moment, and I think that the uh, its way of capturing the attitude of both um, uh, the band and uh, stylistically, I'm assuming this is what their music videos also feel like. Yeah, I would assume that I I you know I especially due to their stage setup. I yeah, mean, it's insane. So I I think. I think we'll enter the reductive rating round on this one. Yeah, for, sure. uh, for me, it's a really, really high three, and I, I, I think, I think, I'll probably bump it up to a, a, a four. Well, we're gonna see how this is gonna go. I hope so. Um, because I think, I don't know. I'm, I was really conflicted about the movie because a lot of movies for me, as just someone who watches so many of them, is kind of just a lot of the time how I f- how how you the movie feel actually the makes you feel for sure. and yeah. even though I'll you know look at it you know in in a way that that analyzes it sometimes from yeah. a distance or or, or or from what or what things are 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 happening sure. uh, a lot of the time you know when I was comparing this to Streets of Fire which I just thought was so beautiful and I I felt every second of it this felt to me sort of like less of a little a little kid doing this and more of like a um a I don't really know how to describe this like a like a show put on in a a kind of posturing ironic way mm. which I didn't you know I don't know if it's exactly right again I think that there's I think there's a lot of people that actually do love this movie so who knows but right that, was, that, that was that was that was just my that one. was my initial takeaway from it but yeah so it's gonna be a three for now but I think I think in the future it could go up for you Andrew uh, I feel like I'm in a pretty similar boat for a couple of reasons um, although uh, lay them out although I, I do think um, kind of similar to what Jamie was saying I think that um, like that that the essence of the movie I think also aligns very well with like a garage band, you know, like mm, a the gar- that that garage punk do it yourself kind of feel yep. of a thing that has been cobbled together by people who are doing it for the love of it. I think that it does mm-hmm. sort of really carry over in it the does, it does have that, that low sense. budget charm to it. Yeah. yeah. For sure. And like I, like I said, apart from the CGI, it does feel like an older movie to me. Mm-hmm. feels like a significantly yeah. older movie, you know. But yeah, I, I am probably in a similar boat to... I did watch this back-to-back with Streets of mm. Fire. So, like, nice. right afterwards. See, maybe we're just and being mean because it's not Streets <laughs> of Fire. It's very it's very possible. And also, I just love Streets of Fire so much that, yeah. Well, <laughs> well like, like I said, one of, the, one of the real strengths of Streets of Fire to me was the way that the film just kept pushing forward. 
And oh, the, I see what you're saying. And this this film had has stretches where it drags for me. It has stretches where it just sure. really kind of lets off the gasser a bit, and there's just some kind of secondary characters. Are you thinking like the bit about. where they're like hanging out in the forest or whatever? Yeah, just kind of milling about in a jungle somewhere. So uh, it did, like it it did struggle to keep my attention in the sort of back half of the movie. Um, mm. But that said, I think if you're enjoying it for what it is, which is a very deliberately, like sort of punk trash movie. Um, and you could even try pairing it with the Wild Zero drinking game, which is there's a drinking it, game. There is a drinking game that they uh, introduce that me to that, please. It, <laughs> it, it came out with the with the official DVD release, so you know it's <laughs> oh endorsed God. too. Uh, and that is that you should That's... take a drink every time uh, fire shoots out of something. Uh, yeah. Somebody says rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's my someone, favorite part of the movie. <laughs> rock and roll. Anyone, anytime anyone yells rock and roll, I get so pumped. Yeah. Any, oh, anytime man. someone combs their hair, anytime someone drinks, anytime something explodes, or anytime a zombie's head pops. The only problem is you might die doing that with this movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there's so much combing in the background and stuff. So like I feel combing. like you would miss half of them. Every time that Guitar Wolf is is talking and they have the two in the background, that's yeah. all they're doing. They just look. Yeah. They take a cool stance and they just start combing their hair. Yeah. yeah. And and how many and how many times as well? You know, Guitar Wolf either is just about to do something or has just done something. So he starts by like drinking an entire bottle of beer or half a <laughs> bottle of something else. Yeah. <laughs> then um, yells rock and roll. <laughs> Oh yeah, God. so so I'm I'm really really similar to Josh here. I'm teetering between a three and a four. I'm gonna. Oh, it's a moment oh. of truth, Andrew. <laughs> See, the, the the deciding factor for me, I think, was when you brought up that they. It seems like a lot of the movie is based around this loose idea of like, how can what's something cool that we could do, and we were talking in regards with Streets of Fire that that's something it adamantly doesn't do almost. Well, um, yeah. Again, we might be unfairly comparing, but if you're talking about if you're talking about the, the idea, the show is comparing um, them. I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, if it's if it's if it's a comparison between the two things of something mm. that I really love, which is a movie where someone has clearly said, take out every bit of this that is not pushing the movie forward, which mm-hmm. is what I fucking love to see happen in a movie. Um, you know, like, like you were saying, we don't really see that much of that anymore because, like, try and find a movie that has come out in the last five years that isn't two hours long. You know what I mean? Oh, for it's, real. Oh, well, even even some of the, like, hour 41s seem to, like, drag sometimes, too. It's really hard to find, like, a really propulsive movie nowadays. There are, yeah. just, there are just so many movies that I look at and think, I really enjoyed that, and you could have taken half an hour of it out. <laughs> you could have taken half an hour out, and that movie would have been so much better it would have been so much tighter um but i i don't know whether it's to do with you know how it that things are easier to produce these days or that you know everybody's shooting everything digital now instead of on film or whatever it might Mm. be but apparently there is just not the pressure anymore to edit like there used to be so so yeah like a 90 minute movie that is just absolutely cut to the bone which i truly love compared to a movie that felt like somebody said Here's a fun idea. Now let's pat it out. Mm. Let's let's kind like a, of like, again like a like a, an elongated music video, which which again I'm gonna I'm gonna say is both its best quality and the thing that I think harms it for yeah. me personally. But I also it's think a, I also think its best moments are exactly because of that. So it's a weird conflict. It's odd because I guess 
for me, I mean, for me, it's a five. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah, Jamie, so. Jamie went. Well, see, I kind of knew that while I was watching it because I was like, holy, <laughs> you know it, like, like, I, yeah, I talk to Jamie every day. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, this movie could not be more Jamie's, like, general vibe or attitude <laughs> as a person. Thank you. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great compliment. Yep. Uh, Jamie is uh, a, a rocker himself, he is a singer in a uh, hardcore band. Yeah. Uh, so. Feeling that guitar will fight. Oh, yeah. was I ever? Yeah. Dude. So I was like, you know, any anytime it's something like this, or it's something like Phantom of the Paradise, where it's a movie about, uh, you know, the the, the music industry uh, and the, the devil stealing souls and shit. Like that is <laughs> yeah. like like it's a hundred percent. It's Jamie's movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I also like Andrew. You said just like ten minutes ago, where it was kind of like they were they're very much a, a do-it-yourself band, mm-hmm. and. Mm. This movie felt very do-it-yourself. Felt garage band. It felt punk. It just mm-hmm. felt free and like it was like we don't fucking have rules. We're like sure there's there's a lot of unstructured moments in in the movie throughout like mm-hmm. these little scenes that aren't really I guess you know propelling the the film forward. But mm-hmm. it, it was just the, the the character moments that were in those were just so entertaining to me. And I just mm-hmm. I loved like for instance when I'd uh, love to watch this the, with a crowd of people. Yeah. Uh, Definitely. Like when it, the guy. It, I is, could not recommend this more as a party movie. Like, show your friends. Like, yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> like when the guy is uh, the owner of the club is looking at a girl that's doing karaoke, and, oh, and he's just yeah. like, he's like, is this song popular? Oh, it is. Oh, okay, and then just like, starts to slow <laughs> I'm like, that's pointless, sure, but it, it's just, I had so much fun. Every single scene, mm. I just got so much life from, even oh, if it was somewhat pointless. And uh, yeah, like those short shorts are just oh, they're funny as hell. Kind of reminded oh, me so of Reno Nine One One if you've ever watched that. Oh, show. Oh yeah, yeah, and his <laughs> and his little like and his little um you know bowl cut Prince Valiant wig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the, so yeah, good. then it ends up being a wig too. Like it's just there's a, there's just so much to this film that I had uh, fun with, and uh, the overall message I was just shocked by. I didn't know that that mm. was where the film was gonna go, and then when it did and it stuck to its guns there, I was impressed and respected the hell out of that. Um, but yeah, I, for me, it's a five. Honestly, nice. I just, it's just, it's just pure energy. This movie for me, mm. I was so pumped on life mm. when it ended. So there was, yeah, there was that little moment as well that I, I just forgot about, which is, um, the, the lady who's like the secret agent or military person, whatever she's doing, who's selling weapons where mm-hmm. she, she's originally wearing like army fatigues at the start of the movie. And she stops in at this house and is having a shower when some zombies come in and there's a shot of the zombies like grabbing at her clothes and just tearing them up. Yep. And then, you know, she pulls just back the curtain. Just more awesomeness. Yep. Uh, topless blows their heads off a bunch of zombies, which is <laughs> oh, a cool yeah, look. In the shower, and yeah. first punches one in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Naked in a shower. Like, I just, I could, yeah. And then she's got this weird, like, Secret agent sexy outfit on. And well, yeah, like I, just, I, I love that six they... Six feet tall. Like, I don't know, they, they deliberately put the shot in of the zombies tearing up her, her army clothes so that she yeah. would then have to go, well, what's around here to wear? And the only thing <laughs> is like a sort of three, three-quarter length sleeve yeah. uh, unitard, uh, like t- um, sort of like houndstooth one-piece thing with a big fur-lined yeah. collar. 
Reminded me of something like, that like a James Bond girl would wear. Yeah, yeah, exactly, like exactly. It yeah. looked like a like a James James Bond sexy spy girl outfit that she then just <laughs> has to wear for the rest of the movie. And again, yeah. seemingly for no reason other than they just kind of went, you know, what we should have here. Let's just sort this out. And I appreciate yeah. that. I appreciate that they've gone. There's an aesthetic we could be squeezing in here. Yeah, <laughs> let's make it. I think it it's in. just so punk rock to actually have mm-hmm. such a loose structure in a way, and then mm-hmm. make it. What, what this movie is to, to, to take just a bunch of wacky ideas and still make a cohesive story I think just I was blown away by that because there's just there is a lot of random shit in this mm-hmm. movie but and it's all me, it's all it, entertaining it it's, and it's, it's still very, like, I think it's still in service maybe not of the story but it's still in service of the tone of the film mm-hmm. you know it's still trying to just give you this attitude this punk rock liberated attitude so yeah it worked for me throughout well, I, will, uh, right. I will give well, it a four the, and I will say... Oh, Andrew's been convinced to upgrade yeah, it. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I, I think we can definitely say that uh, both movies just embody the spirit of rock and roll. Absolutely. Oh. I can't wait to go back to these two. It's, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess that'll do it for this week's episode of Sleazoids. That was Streets of Fire and Wild Zero to... Uh, Heck of a double feature. Yeah, punk rock actioners. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Andrew, thanks so much for yeah, coming on you. again and bringing these movies with you. Well, uh, this is the... this is the, me back. Oh, no, we we will we will always take it. You you bring some good picks for us, and yeah. I, honestly, you seem a little bit more versed in uh, these kinds of movies than we are. But that's why we started the show. We want to go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. So well, anytime you've honestly, got recommendations, we will take them. That was why. Uh, honestly, that was why I wanted to come back because, like I said, the um, the the first ones I bought, the Australian ones, I felt I felt the need to do some Australian ones, but um, I also felt like they didn't. They didn't really reflect my my truly pulp and trash tastes. Ah, and the core so of who so I am. So yeah. these the, these were the ones. So much more in line with um with my large collection of ridiculous shit. Well, Andrew, this is the part of the show where if you've got anything to plug, this is where you do it. Yeah, do it up. And oh, well, Andrew Andrew has a podcast, which obviously you guys should obviously all be listening to. That's right. Punta Vista right. Socialist Club. Yes. Covering all kinds of wacky Australian politics. That's right. That's right. If you'd like to know about some interesting backwater Australian politics, uh, you can check us out on uh, Twitter. It's Bunta Vista. That's B-O-O-N-T-A Vista. And, uh, yeah, you can also find us on SoundCloud and uh, at BuntaVista.com, all that sort of stuff. Check us out if you would like. Cool. Uh, and we do also on occasion talk about movies. We have done some, uh, we've done some commentary tracks for movies. Actually, uh, nice. what have you done before? Yeah. Uh, and oh, and and the odd sort of kind of posthumous reviews of movies. We've done, me me and uh, Lucy Valentine, who is one of one of the co-hosts. We've done commentary tracks for uh, the the Wayans Brothers movie Little Man. <laughs> uh, and Lucy Valentine is that a Resident Evil character? That actually sounds like uh, yeah, I was gonna say that sounds familiar. Oh, uh, I, think I forgot it's, I think it's about sh- Little Man. <laughs> I, I love the shit out of Little Man is like... Is, I haven't seen that since I was like 15. Oh dude, if, if you want to get like too high and watch a movie... <laughs> Absolutely. Little Man, Little Man is the one because uh, oh, it'll, never, it'll never stop freaking me out because number one, they made the choice to superimpose Marlon Wayans' face onto other actors for an entire film. Yeah. Um, but also... Depending on the scene, 
Sometimes they're putting his face onto um, a child. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's a, sometimes it's a little person, and yep. sometimes it's just like, yeah. Sometimes it's like a three-year-old. Sometimes it's a six-year-old. It it's absolutely alarming. It's really unsettling. Dude, you just like shot this back into my brain. I had I I forgot about Little Man and how much of a crazy wacky movie that is. Oh, oh my god! Man. And we do occasionally I'm do. I'm so excited to rewatch that now. We occasionally do a series called um, If It Ain't Woke, Don't Fix It, where we go back and rewatch older movies and see how their uh, their core messages hold up. Like for example, um, we just did Revenge of the Nerds. Um, okay. which surprisingly has a lot of very, very pro, uh, they, they just have, they have a super diverse, inclusive crew in that film of like, yeah. uh, gay black kids and just everybody, but it's also pretty pro rape. That movie, <laughs> you can't like, really. I remember. Get yeah, I, re- I remember a specific scene with, I believe it's a cheerleader and she thinks that, uh, the, the guy going down on her is her boyfriend and it ends up being a nerd who's oh. just really good at it. So she's like, oh, it's okay that you totally deceived me into <laughs> giving me oral this sex. This interaction, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either way, we're not going to be talking about those films on this show probably anytime soon. Uh, <laughs> but, <Would> speaking, <laughs> but speaking of which, uh, in one week's time... For patrons, those of you subscribe to our Patreon, we're coming at you with a bonus episode for you guys, and we're going to be doing a Jackie Chan episode. Yeah. We're going to be covering uh, 1978 Drunken Master and its 1994 sequel, uh, co-directed by Lau Kar Lung, famous Shaw Brothers um, kung fu filmmaker, uh, Legend of the Drunken Master, both films obviously starring the legendary uh, Chinese martial artist Jackie Chan. Who just, it's this, this work. He's unbelievable, movie, yeah. These movies, rather, are just, yeah, I can't wait to talk about them because, like, these are also two, uh, I think, maybe my first uh, martial arts films because for some reason my parents wouldn't let me get, like, the real violent movies, but they thought of martial arts movies as just like it's just hand to hand combat, so it's not as bad, even though there's some definitely some mature themes in here. Yeah. So these were like my first two major martial arts movies. I, I'm gonna forever keep thinking about that part where his master and drunken master is just like, Why are you so sexy? <laughs> to Jackie. And I was just like, Whoa <laughs> That's a young Jackie Chan's muscular thigh, I agree, but <laughs> Jeez. I don't know if this is, you should be doing that with your authority, master. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's also the uncle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it gets a little weird. It gets a little weird. <laughs> but they're amazing films. But, is, but yeah, uh, so that's what we're going to be talking about for you guys, patrons, next week. Uh, so uh, if you're not on Patreon, what are you doing? Go listen to that episode. Do it. Uh, but for those of our free listeners, we're going to be back in two weeks' time for you guys with another special guest, uh, and we're going to be following up our uh, one of our first episodes, actually, that we did. I think it was our second or our third one. We talked about Kill Bill, Volume 1. Yeah. And we paired it with Female Prisoner Number 701, Scorpion. Which were just so good. Yep, absolutely. And what we're going to be doing this time around is with a guest, we're going to be taking on Kill Bill, Volume 2. Wrapping it up. Yep. So we're going to be having both Kill Bills done on the show. And... 
uh, we're going to be pairing it with Lady Snowblood, one of the many films that inspired Tarantino on uh, the making of Kill Bill. It's also good that we're talking about Lau Kar Lung with Jackie Chan, too, because his Shaw Brothers movies were also... Uh, stylistically in terms of his camera work and some of his wire action and stuff, yeah. the absolute biggest inspiration on uh, the actual filmmaking there. Yeah, and Lady Snowblood's been on my list for a while, yeah. like, which is odd because, uh, I mean, I actually I just, think I would have heard of it, but it's... I just bought the Criterion that comes with both Lady Snowblood and Lady Snowblood, too, so I might is even that just watch both. Vengeance of Lady Snowblood something, something like, like that? that. Yeah. yeah, I got I, Either way, the Criterion was on sale, so I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna, obviously I'm going to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really <laughs> excited to see it. So, uh, that's what you guys can expect, free listeners, in two weeks' time, and apologies for these goddamn fireworks. It's Canada Day. Canada Day. It's Canada's birthday, Again, y'all. time travel. It's not Canada Day for you guys when you're listening <laughs> to this right, but now. right now. But right now, while we're recording, it is birthday. Canada Day. Uh, so happy birthday. So people are getting hammered in Canada. fireworks right now. And yeah, we're about to get our drink on right when we <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, hit, hit uh, pause on this recording. Um, and anyway, I think I think that's it. Uh, rate us on iTunes, bitches. Uh, <laughs> and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. <laughs>